Hello, and welcome to the For We Are Many podcast. Oh. My name is Rob. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm Caitlin. We are also being joined by the Caitlin. There you are. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. We have to have awkward intros, right? We do. This is this is our thing. We're weird. Um, but we are diving into chapter three of Emma Goldman's Anarchism and Other Essays, uh, which is part five in our series because we had two complete episodes of prologue and uh, skipped the rest of it because it's very, very long and quite in-depth. Um, mm-hmm. But feel free to check out our episodes on those or, of course, chapter one or chapter two. Um, which are we can be found three at and four on our side. Right. Um, we do have a couple of things to talk about, though. I want to plug our Patreon. We don't do that nearly as often as we should anymore. Uh, but we have some cool things coming up for our patrons. Not only are we already getting episodes pre-recorded and available to patrons before they're publicly available, but we're also... Um, We're also kind of working on uh, movie watch-alongs. The first one will actually take place before this airs, but um, it's a good reason to contribute. Um, The one that is already aired, uh, we might, you know, release some clips from it. Um, Obviously, we can't put the movie material on due to copyright reasons, but we can put our discussion on it. This is true. So we might do like a condensed version where it's just our discussion. Um, I'm not really sure what we're going to do with it uh, to, to have a public video for it. But point is, um, patreon.com slash for we are many. Um, our next movie watch along is going to be Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, we do these on Zoom. Obviously, we can't broadcast that on Facebook or YouTube like we are doing this. But um it's something we've been wanting to do for a very long time, and I'm super excited that we're getting it rolling. Same. Um, also, to let you guys know, the, the first uh, movie watch-along that's, you know, a, a patron special is on the movie, the documentary Alt-Right, The Age of Rage. And this was done by Daryl Lamont Jenkins. Uh, he's been doxing Nazis for decades, and it's fucking great his work is amazing his body of work has helped expose so many white supremacists um right and And we will actually be having a special episode uh with him yes the day after this airs so tomorrow for you guys uh watching at home and um well I'm, i'm really excited for that too i just wanted to interject that finish what you were saying trisha Right. Oh, it's all good. That's all I was going to say, too, to make sure to tune in this weekend to see that special uh, interview with Daryl. You'll love what he has to say. He's phenomenal. Thank you for introducing us to him, Caitlin. It was beautiful. Oh, did we lose her? I think she turned her camera off again. (laughs) She's like, hello, never mind. 
<laughs> there it goes. Um, um, I'm so excited that you guys are doing this. When I hooked up oops. with you guys a few weeks ago, I just knew that it would be a really interview on both ends for Daryl with Idabox and Poor People's Project and with what you guys do. Um, I'm happy for the connection. I'm happy to amplify the work that he's doing. Because outside of protesting, oh, yeah. you know, people slack off. And a lot of people don't realize that the work doesn't stop between protests and watching these groups and these people. Absolutely. Right. It's continuous. There is no really taking a break from that because those Nazis, they're not taking fucking breaks. Nope. And that's a big part of what we're going to be talking about. Um, and then not long after that, um, hopefully Trisha will also be on the ground um, in Tennessee, but we'll talk more about that when we have Daryl on. Did you freeze, Trisha? Sorry, my, my, my signal's cutting out a little bit. I'm going to have to move my phone. <laughs> Try to gotcha. catch a stronger signal. Um, there we go. It's clear now. Um, anyway, um, but yeah, we, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward. She intros. always has the this best free, freeze frames. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you. Did you at least catch a smile? <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Um, okay, so anyway, uh, today's piece um, is the fifth piece in our Anarchism and Other Essays series, which is chapter three. And uh, we're going to continue using the same source for an audiobook, or an audiobook, which is Audible Anarchists. They can be found on YouTube. Uh, go, you know, throw them a like and subscribe. Um they do a lot of really good work. They have a lot of audiobooks um, up. Anything else to uh, add? I don't have anything else. Oh, yeah. Next Tuesday, catch uh, the episode with Will Wynn. Um, we had him on a couple of months ago. It's going to be really nice to catch up with him. I love this person. Anyway. <laughs> the Star Trek Agreed. communist, for any of you that recognize the name right off the bat. <laughs> but yeah. Fair enough. Um, he's on Twitter at Boomer Niner. You know, one of the maybe when we have him on, we gotta ask him, like, where did that even come from? <laughs> I'm curious. Yeah. Me too. Curious mind. In New Jersey, we have this. We have the socialist soprano. So maybe that's just what we're gonna do. We're gonna seize media figures. Hell yeah, I dig it. <laughs> that's what's up. I'm down for it. Do Let's do it. Before we dive into this, Caitlin, did you have anything you wanted to plug? Any announcements? Did we lose her? 
Oh no. Nope, I'm here. Okay. No announcements on my end. Okay. Right on. All right, let's dive into this book then. Good Sounds old Emma good Goldman. Anarchism and other essays. Uh, the title of the chapter, right. as you see, is The Psychology of Political Violence. It's about to this get is real a up in here. Recording. It has been edited, compiled, and distributed by Audible Anarchist. Part 3. The Psychology of Political Violence from Anarchism and Other Essays. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Anarchism and Other Essays by Emma Goldman the psychology of political violence to analyze the psychology of political violence is not only extremely difficult but also very dangerous if such acts are treated with understanding one is immediately accused of eulogizing them if on the other hand human sympathy is expressed with the attentator a revolutionist committing an act of political violence one risks being considered a possible accomplice Yet it is only intelligence and sympathy that can bring us closer to the source of human suffering and teach us the ultimate way out of it. The primitive man, ignorant of natural forces, dreaded their approach, hiding from the perils they threatened. As man learned to understand nature's phenomena, he realized that though these may destroy life and cause great loss, they also bring relief. To the earnest student, it must be apparent that the accumulated forces in our social and economic life, culminating in a political act of violence, are similar to the terrors of the atmosphere manifested in storm and lightning. To thoroughly appreciate the truth of this view, one must feel intensely the indignity of our social wrongs. One's very being must throb with the pain, the sorrow, the despair millions of people are daily made to endure. I wanted to interject right here. One's very being must throb with the pain, the sorrow, the despair millions of people are daily made to endure. Pretty self-explanatory. You need to give a shit about other people. Right. And look at how long it's been since this was written. Still fucking applicable right indeed unless we have become a part of humanity we cannot even faintly understand the just indignation that accumulates in a human soul the burning surging passion that makes the storm inevitable the ignorant mass looks upon the man who makes a violent protest against our social and economic iniquities as upon a wild beast, a cruel, heartless monster whose joy it is to destroy life and bathe in blood, or at best as upon an irresponsible lunatic. Yet nothing is further from the truth. As a matter of fact, those who have studied the character and personality of these men, or who have come in close contact with them, are agreed that it is their supersensitiveness to the wrong and injustice surrounding them which compels them to pay the toll of our social crimes. The most noted writers and poets discussing the psychology of political offenders have paid them the highest tribute. 
could any one assume that these men had advised violence or even approved of the acts certainly not theirs was the attitude of this social student of the man who knows that beyond every violent act there is a vital cause Ernst Jörna Björnson, in the second part of Beyond Human Power, emphasizes the fact that it is among the anarchists that we must look for the modern martyrs who pay for their faith with their blood, and who welcome death with a smile, because they believe, as truly as Christ did, that their martyrdom will redeem humanity. Francois Capi, the French novelist, thus expresses himself regarding the psychology of the attentator. The reading of the details of Voyant's execution left me in a thoughtful mood. I imagined him expanding his chest under the ropes, marching with firm step, stiffening his will, concentrating all his energy, and with eyes fixed upon the knife, hurling finally at society his cry of malediction. And, in spite of me, another spectacle rose suddenly before my mind— I saw a group of men and women pressing against each other in the middle of the oblong arena of the circus, under the gaze of thousands of eyes, while from all the steps of the immense amphitheater went up the terrible cry, Alion! and below the opening cages of the wild beasts. I did not believe the execution would take place. In the first place, no victim had been struck with death, and it had long been the custom not to punish an abortive crime with the last degree of severity. Then, this crime, however terrible in intention, was disinterested, born of an abstract idea. The man's past, his abandoned childhood, his life of hardship, pleaded also in his favor. In the independent press, generous voices were raised in his behalf, very loud and eloquent. A purely literary current of opinion, some have said, with no little scorn. It is, on the contrary, an honor to the men of art and thought to have expressed once more their disgust at the scaffold. Again, Zola, in Germinal and Paris, describes the tenderness and kindness, the deep sympathy with human suffering, of these men who close the chapter of their lives with a violent outbreak against our system. So, basically... <clears throat> the point that she's driving home here is that violent outbreaks against our system, whether it be, you know, the, the birth of a revolution or whether it be just a, a smaller scale, like skirmish with the police or whatever, these violent outbreaks against our system come as a direct, um, Welcome back, Trisha. I didn't realize that we lost you there. Uh, these come as a direct result of the violence that our system subjects these people to time and time again, every day of their lives. So, I mean, I guess I just wanted to point out that what she's trying to drive home here is that these people suffer their entire lives, and that's what sparks these violent outbreaks. Back to the text. Last, but not least, the man who probably better than anyone else understands... What was that?
the psychology of the attentator is Mr. Hammond, the author of the brilliant work Une Psychologie du Militaire Professionnel, who has arrived at these suggestive conclusions. The positive method, confirmed by the rational method, enables us to establish an ideal type of anarchist, whose mentality is the aggregate of common psychic characteristics. Every anarchist partakes sufficiently of this ideal type to make it possible to differentiate him from other men. The typical anarchist, then, may be defined as follows. A man perceptible by the spirit of revolt under one or more of its forms, opposition, investigation, criticism, innovation. Endowed with a strong love of liberty, egoistic or individualistic, and possessed of a great curiosity, a keen desire to know, these traits are supplemented by an ardent love of others, a highly developed moral sensitiveness, a profound sentiment of justice, and imbued with missionary zeal. So these these characteristics, uh, as she lays them out here, of the <coughs> typical anarchist, you might notice that there's only a couple <laughs> of deviations from the values of communists. Um, I mean, you know, we tend to be, or at least we tend to strive to be more collectivistic and less individualistic. Um, but, you know, the spirit of revolt that anarchism, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. But anyway, the point is, these traits are supplemented by an ardent love of others. Uh, reminds me a lot to, or a lot of Che Guevara uh, talking about how, you know, a revolutionary's greatest driving force is love. So, I mean, I guess I want to use this moment to, to stress unity. We believe in the same things. And we're pushing for the same things. We're on the same side. It's time to stop pushing each other away. One of the best lines I heard. One of the best lines I ever heard from a Go ahead. black activist, social justice worker, and a radical was, we aren't looking for allies. We're looking for accomplices. Amen to that. I do too. You're you're cutting out there, Trisha. What'd you say? Oh. All right. Well, back to the text, I guess. Oh, Trisha's back. There we go. There we go. Lost you for a minute there. Yep, my connection sucks over here. Um, I was just saying it's going to take that unity to actually be successful in creating the changes that need to happen. And when it really boils down to it, for the most part, we want the same things. Our end goals are the same. Let's fucking work together. <laughs> you know? Right. And I mean, I'm even, because I like that quote so much, I'm even going to like, you know, stop my communist tendencies from breaking down the egoistic and individualistic portion of that statement. But I love right. the, the, the overall view of the statement. 
Well, I think when it comes down to that ardent love of others, she's not discluding the care for each other that is inherent to our collectivist ideals. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And that's that's why I didn't, you know, really try to rip into it because in the next line she kind of pointed out that that love of others um a highly developed moral sensitiveness, a profound sentiment of justice. Uh, you know, we're we're all on the same page there. And shit like this is why my commie ass fucking loves Emma Goldman's anarchist ass. I, I love that mouth and what she did with it. I have a great appreciation for her wisdom. You mean critique capital? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> but also the giving a shit, she genuinely cared. She was coming from a place of love in everything that she did because she had so much love for the fellow proletariat who have been suffering at the hands of capitalism and other forms of oppression that are interlinked with it. And she was so passionate about it. And on top of that, she understood intersectionality at a time and place where that was absent from most people's political analysis. You know, she, she was a Jewish woman, so she understood having to deal with racism and sexism right along with it because those are inherent to keeping that oppression going when it comes to what capitalism does. So she called that shit out too. And I love that. She was very much ahead of her time. I'll agree with that. End rant. I'm good. <laughs> All good right. Text. <laughs> <laughs> to the above characteristics, says right? Alvin F. Sanborn, must be added these sterling qualities. A rare love of animals, surpassing sweetness in all the ordinary relations of life, exceptional sobriety of demeanor, frugality and regularity, austerity even of living, and courage beyond compare. From Paris and the Social Revolution. There is a truism that the man in the street seems always to forget when he is abusing the anarchists, or whatever party happens to be his bit noir for the moment, as the cause of some outrage just perpetrated. This indisputable fact is that homicidal outrages have, from time immemorial, been the reply of goaded and desperate classes, and goaded and desperate individuals, to wrongs from their fellow men which they felt to be intolerable. Such acts are the violent recoil from violence, whether aggressive or repressive. They are the last desperate struggle of outraged and exasperated human nature for breathing space and life. And their cause lies not in any special conviction, but in the depths of that human nature itself. The whole course of history, political and social, is strewn with evidence of this fact. To go no further, take the three most notorious examples of political parties goaded into violence during the last fifty years. The Mazzinians in Italy, the Finians in Ireland, and the terrorists in Russia. Were these people anarchists? No. Did they all three even hold the same political opinions? No. The Mazzinians were republicans, the Finians political separatists, the Russians social democrats or constitutionalists but all were driven by desperate circumstances into this terrible form of revolt. 
and when we turn from parties to individuals who have acted in like manner, we stand appalled by the number of human beings goaded and driven by sheer desperation into conduct obviously violently opposed to their social instincts. Now that anarchism has become a living force in society, such deeds have been sometimes committed by anarchists, as well as by others. For no new faith, even the most essentially peaceable and humane the mind of man has yet accepted, but at its first coming has brought upon earth not peace, but a sword, not because of anything violent or antisocial in the doctrine itself, simply because of the ferment any new and creative idea excites in men's minds, whether they accept or reject it, and a conception of anarchism, which on one hand threatens every vested interest, and on the other holds out a vision of a free and noble life to be won by a struggle against existing wrongs, is certain to rouse the fiercest opposition, and bring the whole repressive force of ancient evil into violent contact with the tumultuous outburst of a new hope. Under miserable conditions of life, any vision of the possibility of better things makes the present misery more intolerable and spurs those who suffer to the most energetic struggles to improve their lot, and if these struggles only immediately result in sharper misery, the outcome is sheer desperation. In our present society, for instance, an exploited wage worker who catches a glimpse of what work and life might and ought to be, finds the toilsome routine and squalor of his existence almost intolerable, and even when he has the resolution and courage to continue steadily working his best, and waiting until new ideas have so permeated society as to pave the way for better times, the mere fact that he has such ideas and tries to spread them brings him into difficulties with his employers. How many thousands of socialists, and above all anarchists, have lost work and even the chance of work, solely on the ground of their opinions? It is only the specially gifted craftsman who, if he be a zealous propagandist, can hope to retain permanent employment. And what happens to a man with his brain working actively with a ferment of new ideas, with a vision before his eyes of a new hope dawning for toiling and agonizing men, with the knowledge that his suffering and that of his fellows in misery is not caused by the cruelty of fate, but by the injustice of other human beings? What happens to such a man when he sees those dear to him starving, when he himself is starved? Some natures in such a plight, and those by no means the least social or the least sensitive, will become violent, and will even feel that their violence is social and not antisocial, that in striking when and how they can they are striking not for themselves, but for human nature, outraged and despoiled in their persons and in those of their fellow sufferers. And are we, who ourselves are not in this horrible predicament, to stand by and coldly condemn these piteous victims of the furies and fates? Are we to decry as miscreants these human beings who act with heroic self-devotion, sacrificing their lives in protest, where less social and less energetic natures would lie down and grovel in abject submission to injustice and wrong? Are we to join the ignorant and brutal outcry which stigmatizes such men as monsters of wickedness, gratuitously running amuck in a harmonious and innocently peaceful society? No. We hate murder, with a hatred that may seem absurdly exaggerated to apologists for matabili massacres, to callous acquiescers in hangings and bombardments, 
but we decline in such cases of homicide or attempted homicide as those of which we are treating to be guilty of the cruel injustice of flinging the whole responsibility of the deed upon the immediate perpetrator the guilt of these homicides lies upon every man and woman who intentionally or by cold indifference helps to keep up social conditions that drive human beings to despair the man who flings his whole life into the attempt at the cost of his own life to protest against the wrongs of his fellow-men is a saint compared to the active and passive upholders of cruelty and injustice, even if his protests destroy other lives besides his own. Let him who is without sin in society cast the first stone at such a one. I paused it there because there is a lot to unpack in that very long... Um, Damn, those sirens are distracting. I apologize. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I live across the street from a fire station. <laughs> Great place to record a podcast, I know. But here we are. <laughs> hey, um, shit happens. <laughs> I think I just lost my spot. Oh, no. Okay, there it is. I found it. Okay, so that was a very long paragraph um but she's right any vision of the possibility of better things makes the present misery more intolerable and spurs those who suffer the most uh to improve their lot and if these struggles only immediate re immediately result in sharper victory the outcome is sheer desperation that's the thing a lot of these people um historically speaking are um that they have the least to lose or the most to lose i guess but you get my point um they don't have a lot to begin with that's why they're there to begin with and then if they're forced into a spot of sheer desperation that's forced escalation if you really you know break it down um but there was a lot to unpack in that paragraph um, you know, talking about, man, Trisha just keeps bouncing right in and out of this thing, huh? Um, <laughs> anyway, um, I forgot what I was about to say again. What um, I took from it was, but, but um, the, the point is, is that the guilt, the, the guilt from all of these violent acts come from the people that are doing the exploiting, not from the people that are fighting against it. Go ahead, Caitlin. I'm sorry. Wait, what I was going to say, yeah, no, what I was going to say was, as she's talking about the desperation and what drives the act, I think it says a lot about our millennial generation, too. We're the most educated generation to have existed, we and the most debt-laden you know, generation. But we're not stupid. We've kind of, we're the information generation. We, you know, we've kind of... All of world system. knowledge Boy. is available at the palm of your hand. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to work the math out that we're you know that'll make it quite fucking desperate plus behind us who are already adults 
closing in on middle age too now. So you've got two desperate generations yeah. now. I've been saying for a couple of years now that I think that uh, Gen Z is finally going to be the generation to overthrow capitalism. I think so, and I think because of us, too, because we're so desperate for another generation to back us up that never came. And then, you know, we're going to support them like we we didn't get. We didn't get that. Right. I mean, the only support we, I, that I we got. We're gonna the only support that our generation got was, you know, culture. maybe a maybe a hippie here and there and pop culture. Exactly. That's it. Yeah. I feel like so much more supportive of Gen Z than anybody was of us at all. Oh yeah, I mean our I parents were, you know, Gen Z kids. get a job. That that was our, yeah. you know, parents. That was our support. Get a job and stop whining. Shut the hell up. Anyway. Yeah, I feel like we're so much more encouraging. And we have so much less direct competitors. And we're still ready to work with them, not exploit them. Yeah, there's a big generational gap that I think we've closed between us and Gen Z because of these conditions. Agreed. I wish Trisha could figure out if she was staying in the stream or not. I'm just playing. Anyway, uh, do you have anything that you wanted to add? We're still talking about that same paragraph. She might be frozen. So I'll just go ahead and take us back to the text. From a pamphlet issued by the Freedom Group of London. That every act of political violence should nowadays be attributed to anarchists is not at all surprising. Yet it is a fact known to almost everyone familiar with the anarchist movement that a great number of acts for which anarchists had to suffer either originated with the capitalist press or were instigated, if not directly perpetrated, by the police. Does that not sound a little familiar to anybody? Looking at every leftist movement ever. Right. So, like, this is this is another thing where uh, communists and anarchists share common ground. Um, you know, like, the... I mean, even, even look at less radical things like the Black Lives Matter movement, for example. I mean, the organizers were radicals, but it drew in a lot of liberals, right? But... Even that being said, um, a lot of the hate that Black Lives Matter got, you know, was the capitalist press or instigated by the police. So I, I guess my point in bringing that up is that it still happens today. And my point in bringing up communist groups is because we can't forget that the Red Scare happened. We're still living with the ramifications of it. Did you see the poll? Um, Chank put up a poll, Chank Yeager from um, Young Turks, and he's like, this won't even be close. Who's done more damage, far-right media or conservative media or, or corporate media? There was no competition. It was 94% uh, media. 
I don't think he expects right. Oaks to go that way. Yeah, because probably corporate not. Corporate media but... includes conservative media. Yeah. Yep. All the media. All right. Back to the text. For a number of years, acts of violence have been committed in Spain, for which the anarchists were held responsible, hounded like wild beasts, and thrown into prison. Later, it was disclosed that the perpetrators of these acts were not anarchists, but members of the police department. The scandal became so widespread that the conservative Spanish newspapers demanded the apprehension and punishment of the gang leader, Juan Rule, who was subsequently condemned to death and executed. The sensational evidence brought to light during the trial forced police inspector Momento to exonerate completely the anarchists from any connection with the acts committed during a long period. This resulted in the dismissal of a number of police officials, among them Inspector Tresols, who in revenge disclosed the fact that behind the gang of police bomb-throwers were others of far higher position who provided them with funds and protected them. This is one of the many striking examples of how anarchist conspiracies are manufactured that the American police can perjure themselves with the same ease, that they are just as merciless, just as brutal and cunning as their European colleagues, has been proven on more than one occasion. We need only recall the tragedy of the 11th of November, 1887, known as the Haymarket Riot. Little shameless self-promotion here. We have an episode on the Haymarket Riot, or it might be titled The Haymarket Affair, but either way, it's referring to the same event on the 11th of November, 1887. Um, yeah, feel free to check that out. We kind of dive into what led up to it and how it played out. Um, yeah. That's all. Continuing on. No one who is at all familiar with the case can possibly doubt that the anarchists, judicially murdered in Chicago, died as victims of a lying, bloodthirsty press and of a cruel police conspiracy. Has not Judge Gary himself said, not because you have caused the Haymarket bomb, but because you are anarchists, you are on trial. So this is true, and that's why she keeps referring to them as anarchists. They were not all anarchists. There was also some socialists in there. Uh, it's important to not forget them. Um, but the point is, is that it was a brutal attack on the left. And, and uh, the, the judge did call them all anarchists. But, I mean, look at the, the reactionary right today. Can they distinguish between an anarchist and a fucking communist? No, they probably couldn't then either. <laughs> Just my two cents. No, it's one of the most mystifying words out there. Anarchism and both socialism and communism. These are all perfectly purposely propagandized, misinformed. Yep. Absolutely. The impartial and thorough analysis by Governor Altgeld of that blotch on the American is Cutchin verified the of Judge Gary. It was this that induced Altgeld to pardon the three anarchists, thereby earning the lasting esteem of every liberty-loving man and woman in the world. 
when we approach the tragedy of september sixth nineteen o one we are confronted by one of the most striking examples of how little social theories are responsible for an act of political violence leon cholgosh an anarchist incited to commit the act by emma goldman to be sure has she not incited violence even before her birth and will she not continue to do so beyond death everything is possible with the anarchist Today, even nine years after the tragedy, after it was proven a hundred times that Emma Goldman had nothing to do with the event, that no evidence whatsoever exists to indicate that Cholgosh ever called himself an anarchist, we are confronted with the same lie fabricated by the police and perpetuated by the press. No living soul ever heard Cholgosh make that statement, nor is there a single written word to prove that the boy ever breathed the accusation nothing but ignorance and insane hysteria which have never yet been able to solve the simplest problem of cause and effect the president of a free republic killed what else can be the cause except that the attentator must have been insane or that he was incited to the act a free republic how a myth will maintain itself how it will continue to deceive, to dupe and blind even the comparatively intelligent to its monstrous absurdities. A free republic! And yet within a little over thirty years a small band of parasites have successfully robbed the American people and trampled upon the fundamental principles laid down by the fathers of this country, guaranteeing to every man, woman, and child life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. For thirty years they have been increasing their wealth and power at the expense of the vast mass of workers, thereby enlarging the army of the unemployed, the hungry, homeless, and friendless portion of humanity, who are tramping the country from east to west, from north to south, in a vain search for work. I almost forgot to unmute. My bad. That might help. So, <coughs> um... Exactly what she's describing here. Look at, you know, like how much our generations have moved around looking for better opportunities, better work. We're doing the same thing. And all these issues that, that she's critiquing in the early 1900s, what did all of that age of robber barons, what did all of that leak up to, or lead up to? And the answer is the Great Fucking Depression. So, I, I mean, we're looking at, uh, in a lot of ways, a similar, only maybe more dire situation, um, you know, a hundred years later. Anything else got any, or anybody else got anything to... Ah, uh, there's... Yeah. I didn't Right. For many years, the home has been left to the care of the little ones, while the parents are exhausting their life and strength for a mere pittance. 
For thirty years the sturdy sons of America have been sacrificed on the battlefield of industrial war, and the daughters outraged in corrupt factory surroundings. For long and weary years this process of undermining the nation's health, vigor, and pride, without much protest from the disinherited and oppressed, has been going on. Maddened by success and victory, the money powers of this free land of ours become more and more audacious in their heartless, cruel efforts to compete with the rotten and decayed European tyrannies for supremacy of power. In vain did a lying press repudiate Leon Chalgosh as a foreigner. The boy was a product of our own free American soil that lulled him to sleep with my country tis of the sweet land of liberty who can t so uh, again she is talking about something that we all see very often uh you know that kind of that lulled him to sleep with my country tis of the sweet land of liberty we still see that we still see that and blind patriotism is a big part of the puzzle of how we got into the mess that we're in. Uh, do you have anything to add, Caitlin? I think the uh, definition of liberty needs to be severely redefined and eased back from capitalism and the American widely abused version of democracy, what we call a democracy. It's not a democracy. <laughs> Agreed. What about you, Trisha? Um, nothing I to add at the moment. Sorry, oh. I'm getting out too much. I'm I'm fine where we're at in the book because I cut out for so long. So I was trying to play catch up. <laughs> so, my apologies. My um, the next. You're good. Um, the next paragraph starts with "Who can tell how many times?" If that helps, who can tell? Okay, thank you for that, Rob. No problem. Found you. Back. Awesome. Back to the text. Tell how many times this American child had gloried in the celebration of the 4th of July, or of Decoration Day, when he faithfully honored the nation's dead. Who knows but that he, too, was willing to fight for his country and die for her liberty until it dawned upon him that those he belonged to have no country, because they have been robbed of all that they have produced, until he realized that the liberty and independence of his youthful dreams were but a farce. So she addressed in the next paragraph, um, sorry, I was reading your message there, Trisha. Um, oh. But she addressed in the, literally the next paragraph what we were just saying so um that's right. cool i just wanted to 
point that out. Maybe we should have just kept playing. <laughs> but you gotta love those moments where it's like, oh, political analysis is on point. <laughs> right, right. Beyond Cholgosh, your crime consisted of too sensitive a social consciousness. Unlike your idealless and brainless American brothers, your ideals soared above the belly and the bank account. No wonder you impressed the one human being among all the infuriated mob at your trial, a newspaper woman, as a visionary, totally oblivious to your surroundings. Your large, dreamy eyes must have beheld a new and glorious dawn. Now to a recent instance of police-manufactured anarchist plot. In that blood-stained city, Chicago, the life of Chief of Police Shippy was attempted by a young man named Averbook. Immediately the cry was sent to the four corners of the world that Averbook was an anarchist, and that anarchists were responsible for the act. Everyone who was at all known to entertain anarchist ideas was closely watched, a number of people arrested, the library of an anarchist group confiscated, and all meetings made impossible. It goes without saying that, as on various previous occasions, I must needs be held responsible for the act. Evidently, the American police credit me with occult powers. I did not know Averbook, in fact, had never before heard his name, and the only way I could have possibly conspired with him was in my astral body. But then the police are not concerned with logic or justice. What they seek is a target to mask their absolute ignorance of the cause of the psychology of a political act. Was Averbookerkist? There is no positive proof of it. He had been but three months in the country, did not know the language, and as far as I could ascertain was quite unknown to the anarchists of Chicago. What led to his act? Averbook, like most young Russian immigrants, undoubtedly believed in the mythical liberty of America. He received his first baptism by the policeman's club during the brutal disbursement of the unemployed parade. He further experienced American equality and opportunity in the vain efforts to find an economic master. I forgot I was muted. I'm sorry, but I just wanted to interject here to say that I, I love her humor. It reminds me a lot of, you know, like Marx's humor or, um, you know, it's, it's that very, like, dry sarcasm. Like, yeah. he received his first baptism by the policeman's club during the brutal disbursement of the unemployed parade. He further experienced American equality and opportunity in the vain efforts to find an economic master. I mean, that's, it's, it's brutal and it's accurate. One more reason. I, I love that kind of like, <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. She had a, a very powerful way with words. Yes. Absolutely. I like how nothing's changed with police, though. They still lie um, every level. They still plant drugs. Um, and throw bombs still, into leftist crowds. Um, yeah, the FBI... You know, people protesting lockdown in Michigan wasn't enough. The FBI literally manufactured that whole government, governor kidnap, kidnap plot. 
it turned out only one one of those guys wasn't you know an fbi informant the rest were all put up to oh, it i mean they have to create their own jobs that's crazy i'm not you knew about <laughs> that right i'm Michigan? not surprised well i knew i knew about the oh, initial of- arrests and the investigation i did not know that, 11 uh, out of 12 of them were put up by the FBI. The FBI introduced them. Oh my the God. FBI like, showed them how to train. There was only one guy that came on his own. Like, okay. Only one guy that wasn't like pushed to go do it. Yeah. Just one. Just one idiot found their way there. What the fuck? The they... <laughs> They've admitted that they they don't think that they would have trained or organized even without the FBI help. They weren't the brightest people. They gotta wow. they have to keep their jobs. So yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. So nothing's what changed with cops since her time. <laughs> and all they arrested yeah. was basically their own narcs. Yes. Excellent. Oh, Not fuck. their idea. The idea came from an FBI, you know, person pushing someone. Yeah. Dude, was that's not such their a original ideas. It's a pathetic waste of our tax dollars. And, and I mean, ultimately, the purpose is control the- anyway. Fair. And it was to make it, you know, to look like, look at these maniacs going after lockdown and this or that, you know. Oh, hold on a minute. Peel the cover back and, yeah, no. <laughs> Man. It, it's not surprising. It's really not. But it's just, what the fuck? What the fuck? They tried to make a conspiracy happen of their volition they're supposed to actually be monitoring people with criminal activity not creating it themselves mm-hmm. i'm muted of course i am if we really think about it that goes all the yep. way back to co pro and the the what's the word i'm looking for the uh informants and the sabotage in the black panther party in the late 60s early 70s I mean, we've been seeing this for decades, and like Caitlin said, nothing has changed with that since Emma Goldman's time. It's only gotten worse. Nope. nope. It's, it's just sad. Um, you got any other thoughts or back to the text? Nope. Back to the text. In short, a three-month sojourn in the glorious land brought him face-to-face with the fact that the disinherited are in the same position the world over. In his native land, he probably learned that necessity knows no law. There was no difference between a Russian and an American policeman. The question to the intelligent social student is not whether the acts of Cholgosh or Averbuch were practical, any more than whether the thunderstorm is practical. 
the thing that will inevitably impress itself on the thinking and feeling man and woman is that the sight of brutal clubbing of innocent victims in a so-called free republic and the degrading soul-destroying economic struggle furnish the spark that kindles the dynamic force in the overwrought outraged souls of men like cholgosh or averbuch no amount of persecution of hounding of repression can stay this social phenomenon but it is often asked have not acknowledged anarchists committed acts of violence certainly they have always however ready to shoulder the responsibility my contention is that they were impelled not by the teachings of anarchism but by the tremendous pressures of conditions making life unbearable to their sensitive natures obviously anarchism or any other social theory making man a conscious social unit will act as a leaven for rebellion this is not a mere assertion but a fact verified by all experience a close examination of the circumstances bearing upon this question will further clarify my position does that not sound quite like reminiscent of mao a bit revolution is not cannot be a dinner party or painting a picture uh, a dinner or a revolution it's is an insurrection, an act of violence where one class overthrows another. I mean, neither neither one of them are, you know, like shying away from the fact that violence is necessary to overthrow the system. It's a class war, you know. Exactly. I mean, capitalists will not have any problem continuing to shed our blood to protect their profit margins. Let's get real here. You have something to add? You guys, the Mission FBI link. Sorry. Not to that. No, I was getting you guys okay. the Michigan FBI link. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you for right that. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. Oh, wow. Well. That's so funny. I mean, they probably had terrible, you know, operational security, uh, communication security. Uh, it, it probably wasn't very difficult to dupe them, to be honest. Very. Probably scared the shit out of poor Whitmer for Guy, that's you know, getting sick no Yeah. Wow. Six months. But there's one guy that's going to. Six months. One gone person showed up on their own. One, one, and guy found his way there. But the rest were all put up to it. They were. They bought them a truck. They showed them where to go to training. When they saw that their training was just garbage, they helped with the training. <laughs> oh my god! And you know, when you first That's heard so the arrest as somebody on the left, you know, it scared the shit out of me. And I'm going, look at these people. They're training. They're they're going to kill governors. You wait a few months and you find out what the real story is. These people weren't geniuses. They were put up to this. You know, they want this civil war. They really do. Right. They're literally throwing gasoline on the fire with shit like that. Yep. Fuck. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, they, they always do. Fair. This is true. FBI, CIA, you all know, of them. They'll, get, they'll get more funding. They'll say, look at all of you know the uprisings last year. We need more funding for our jobs. We need more officers, you know. Well, yeah, and they'll just shell money out for that. We can't afford Medicare for all. We can't afford a Green New Deal. Right. Yep. They can afford to, like you said, to create for themselves by creating the fucking, you know, conspiracies to begin with and pretend that they're doing work. Yep. They're not doing any for the people. Why the f do they still have a... You're cutting out again. God damn it. I heard that. Fuck the police. Fuck the fuck. That's pretty much some of what I said. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I heard. Um, yeah. Check out the uh, Revolutionary Left Radio episode on never talking to the police. It's quite informative on why you should never fucking talk to the police. Um. Goddamn right. I, I cite them as a resource oh. more than probably anything, but maybe like the Marxist Internet Archives. <laughs> but right. yeah, anyway, seriously, resource. it's a it's a good episode and they really break down why even like harmlessly talking to the police in a nonchalant conversation um can still work to your disadvantage. They never work for you. Anyway. Yep. And as uh, we can see through the eyes of Emma Goldman, it was no different back in 1901, she's talking about right now, or, uh, you know, it was no different in Tsarist Russia in 1901. So, stop talking to the police. Please. And For your own good. Anyway. Because anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of the law. Not for you. Against you. And you'd be surprised what kind of bullshit they can catch you up on. Like, Or, I mean, you know, they just say that you said something that they didn't. Kind of harder to do too. in modern times with right. a body camera. But, you know, it has happened. But if all you say is, I assert my right to remain silent and I want my lawyer, that's it. You leave it at that. At least if they tell you you are under arrest. So before those two things, first thing is to ask, am I being detained? And if you're not being detained, then you say, I don't wish to speak with you and slowly walk away. And if you are being detained, I want my fucking lawyer. I assert my Fifth Amendment right to remain silent. Leave it at that. Don't fucking talk to cops. It will not help you. All right. Back to the text. <laughs> Let us consider some of the most important 
anarchist acts within the last two days. Strange as it may seem, one of the most significant deeds of political violence occurred here in America, in connection with the Homestead Strike of 1892. During that... Uh, we also have a piece on the Homestead Strike, I believe. Actually, did, did we record that? Or does that still have to get done? You know, I, know I think you might be the pay market. I don't think we got Homestead done. We talked about it. It's on the list. But I don't I don't think we got Homestead. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, if we can stay focused enough, watch in the future for a piece on the Homestead strike of 1892. That memorable, memorable time, the Carnegie Steel Company organized to crush the Amalgamated Association of Iron and Steel workers. Harry Clay Frick, then chairman of the company, was entrusted with that democratic task. He lost no There's time in carrying out again. the policy of breaking the union, the policy which he had so successfully practiced during his reign of terror in the Coke regions. Secretly, and while peace negotiations were being purposely prolonged, Frick supervised the military operations, the fortification of the homesteads, the erection of a high board fence capped with barbed wire and provided with loopholes for sharpshooters. And then, in the dead of night, he attempted to smuggle his army of hired Pinkerton thugs into homestead, which act precipitated the terrible carnage of the steel workers. Not content with the beloved victims killed in the Pinkerton skirmish, Henry Frick, good Christian and free American, straightway hounding down of the helpless wives and orphans by ordering them out of the wretched company houses. The whole country was aroused over these inhuman outrages. Hundreds of voices were raised in protest, calling to desist, not to go too far. Yes, hundreds of people protested, as one objects to annoying flies. Only one there was who actively responded to the outrage at Homestead. Alexander Berkman. Yes, he was an anarchist. He gloried in that fact, because it was the only force that made the discord between his spiritual longing and the world without at all bearable. Yet not anarchism as such, but the brutal slaughter of the eleven steel workers was the urge for Alexander Berkman's act, his attempt on the life of Henry Clay Frick. In our biographical pieces about Emma Goldman, we talked... Um, a little bit about this attempted assass assassination of Henry Frick. And I think that's why I was thinking that we did a piece on the Homestead strike because we, we did indirectly talk about it uh, because we talked about this attempt on Henry Frick's life. Um, but yeah. Um, uh, again, though, if you like think that statement back over, a communist and an anarchist would have the same feelings about it. Right. So I, I always try to like, you know, draw these parallels between the two because we have way more in common than we have different. And none of the differences even matter while we still live under capitalism. The minor differences can be overthrow capitalism first. Can we get that done? Right. 
Um, but yeah, if you check out our Emma Goldman biographical pieces, I believe it's a two-part series. Um, we did talk about um, that attempted assassination attempt. We did talk about um, how that pertained to her. Um, but yeah, anyway, moving on. It, it's kind of funny, like how much, uh, how much we've touched on over the, what, not even a year that we've been doing this. Um, because it, even when we try to do like new pieces, it's like, oh, we've talked about this. Like, you know, we already have some context going into it and, um, that's encouraging. But anyway, I'll shut up. The record of European acts of political violence affords numerous and striking instances of the influence of environment upon sensitive human beings. The court speech of Voyon, who in 1894 exploded a bomb in the Paris Chamber of Deputies, strikes the true keynote of the psychology of such acts. Gentlemen, in a few minutes you are to deal your blow. But in receiving your verdict, I shall have at least the satisfaction of having wounded the existing society, that cursed society in which one may see a single man spending uselessly enough to feed thousands of families, an infamous society which permits a few individuals to monopolize all the social wealth, while there are hundreds of thousands of unfortunates who have not even the bread that is not refused to dogs, and while entire families are committing suicide for want of the necessities of life. Okay, so I had to pause it there because, I mean, we've been in the midst of a suicide crisis for half a decade now. Um, I, I, I know I can't speak for everybody, but we all have people that we were very close to uh, that are now in the ground because they took their own lives. They just could not exist in this society. Um, and, and, you know, the fact that this was an issue 120 years ago is kind of mind-blowing. I never really thought of the early 1900s as being... Uh, uh, a time, I guess, when people were committing suicide in a very high rates. Um, but if she considered, well, and I want to circle back to the, um, that cursed society in which one may see a single man spending uselessly enough to feed thousands of families. The first thing that popped into my mind was fucking Jeff Bezos's dick rocket. Mm-hmm. You know how many people that could have fed and housed? Holy fuck. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's just... It's disappointing that we even... Yeah, right. It, exactly. But, um... Yeah, I mean, it's... It's just wild that well over a hundred years later, we're seeing the same fucking problems. But, um, the same fucking reasons. Yeah. People tend An to be more society. when they don't have access. Right. But, um, an infamous society which permits a few individuals to monopolize all the social wealth while there are hundreds of thousands of unfortunates who have not even the bread that is not refused to dogs. 
I mean, hundreds of thousands has become millions as our population has grown. Not to mention, I don't even want to know, I don't think, how many people became houseless in the last few months since the eviction mor uh, moratorium ended. Um, you know, and then landlords before that that simply ignored it because I need to make money with that house. Fucking leech, get a job like everybody else. Right. You know, I There's saw a meme recently. Some areas grappling with it. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. I was just going to say, I saw a meme that uh, was, was pointing that out. Um, and now I, I blank and can't remember what the fuck it said. Come back to me. <laughs> Brain fart. Um, I screwed you up. It's okay. What were you going to say? Maybe yeah, I'll but... come back. <laughs> right. 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 Go ahead. <laughs> uh, no, I was saying, I. it's funny how this is all unfolding. I saw in the news recently, I don't remember if it was Idaho or Utah, but a very conservative area. And they have a relatively large town city to call it they have 4,000 homeless and 116,000 empty second homes and it's a conservative town they're looking at what they can do about their new homeless and they're running the numbers on this and they're asking a lot of hard questions like we have empty housing here we have a lot of excess here. Why should we be paying to house people? Well, you know, there's certain ends. I, I'm, I'm happy to see it in a conservative area, though. But yeah, yeah, for sure. That's the thing. Like, when we have more empty houses than we do unhoused people, I see a very simple solution there. Not to mention the fact that it literally costs money to people housing than to criminalize the being unhoused. And, and it's a conservative area, so even they're bridging this economic gap easier than, you know, and, you know, it just shows that maybe it's not a right-left issue. Capitalism's coming for us all, and everybody's starting to see it. Well said. It's the first deep red town I've seen go, hey, we've got empty houses here to seize. You know what I mean? I've never seen that outside of a very progressive right. liberal city. I'm seeing it now. So. It's beautiful to actually finally registering with them, too. Shit. Yep. But uh, Boomerang coming for us all. That meme. It said that landlords housing like like scalpers it's <laughs> funny like landlords don't, don't know if i've caught it provide housing <laughs> they just mark it up no You know, 
I will say I was even surprised to see, you know, area in South that are buying up um, hotels and hotels and turning them into housing for people who are housed in areas like in Texas that you you wouldn't expect that it's deep red and not the right type of red, Republican red. And it's like, wow, they're starting to give a shit, you know, and seeing that they can actually buildings like that to use instead of letting motels that have closed sit there and go into destitution, they're removing them into apartments. Homelessness. That right there. <laughs> Give people housing. Fuck. Like, we've been trying to get people to register this for so many fucking is a human right. Agreed. Back to the text. Ah, gentlemen, if the governing classes could go down among the unfortunates. But no, they prefer to remain deaf to their appeals. It seems that a fatality imp- Really? Yeah, it's not sharing the video or audio now. I don't know what happened there. I mean, that's weird. It's showing that it is on my side, but I'll... Maybe it's my signal. I don't know, but I can still hear you, so that don't make sense. There, we'll try it again. Pills them, like the royalty of the 18th century, toward the precipice which will engulf them. For woe be to those who remain deaf to the cries of the starving. Woe to those who, believing themselves of superior essence, assume the right to exploit those beneath them. There comes a time when the people no longer reason. They rise like a hurricane and pass away like a torrent. Then we see bleeding heads impaled on pikes. Among the exploited gentlemen there are two classes of individuals. Those Caitlin, of one class, not realizing what they are and what they I might be, take life as it comes, believe that they are born to be slaves and content themselves with the little that is given them in exchange for their labor. But there are others, on the contrary, who... One of you has uh, some pretty hardcore background noise. Uh, Caitlin just got dropped, so maybe it was her, I don't know. Uh, as far as the audio issue, I'm not really sure what it could be. I'm sharing audio. I'm hearing it. I, I'm not really understanding what's going on. I don't either. I mean, your signal's showing pretty strong now, so... I don't know. And, and you've been able to... Right. Uh, you've been hearing it all night, too, right? Like... Yeah. Huh. This is weird. I mean, to be fair, we already are at an hour and 20 minutes, so... And, and we're supposed to be watching Daryl's podcast, too, so... Yep. It's five um, after eight. 
I can keep this window up right here and we can do part two of chapter three another time because we're okay. only halfway through it and I don't really want to do a three hour episode. It's hard for people to watch that long. Right. That's a little extra. Okay. I'm down with that. Um, um, so just to plug things, it'll be tomorrow for you guys, Friday night. Um, we're doing a special episode with Daryl Lamont Jenkins. Um, and we have some cool stuff upcoming for our patrons. Uh, that's patreon.com slash for we are many. Uh, we have a dollar a month option. We understand that we're all working class. None of us are rich. Um, but every little bit really does help. I mean, you know, we've been paying out of pocket just to keep this thing rolling. So um, that's fine. I, I love the discussion that we have with you guys every every week or a couple times every week. Um, so, yeah, there's that. And then next Tuesday, the Star Trek Communist will be back on. Um, that should be pretty exciting. I don't want to give too much away about the episode, but um, we'll be talking about communism and Star Trek. Who would have thought? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then... Next Thursday will be, I forget the part number off the top of my head, but we will be diving back into Eldridge Cleaver's Soul on Ice. Hell yeah. Um, so I hope to see all of you tomorrow and then back again on Tuesday. Thank you. Thank you. That was awesome. I'm glad you joined us with this tonight. Yeah, sorry for the interruptions. Oh, it's, it's a working okay. last weekday. <laughs> right. I am trying to find. Didn't I have this issue last time? With uh, trying to find the, the outro. Mix. Yep. Yeah. Where did it go? I thought so. It was to be in the same file. <laughs> Is this your band, Rob? Um, well, Is it's... Rob the intro, or are you the... He's the answer. Yeah, I, I did all of the instruments in that one. Justin. Um, but, yeah, I did, I did all of it in You're the theme, but... You're just going to have live outros. <laughs> the people want live outros. Much. Live intros. Grab that fucking guitar behind you. <laughs> there is one back there. I am really like confused as to where this went. I know what I know what I gotta do. I know what I gotta do. I was searching in a specific folder instead of the whole damn computer. When I can't believe I didn't. Drive. Well, that's also true. That's so weird though. I had it I thought I had it pulled up. I will I will get it from Drive. That's a good idea. Um yeah, if you guys have anything else to plug while I'm struggling with this though, that'd be great. Uh go for it. I can just talk about Daryl. Um he's 
Oscar winning writer part of the team for the film Skins with Janie Bell. It's about neo-Nazi culture and um, he also is the alt-right age of rage, which will, I mean, uh, even in the trailer, it says this as a review, it'll make you howl with rage. It will. Um, and he's trying to showcase this documentary because it showcases the neo-Nazi American Renaissance Festival, um, which takes place whenever we can't get it shut down. Um, it's been a few years. It's been since 2017 since it's been hosted. Um, it's going to happen again now in Tennessee, outside of Nashville. It's a weekend event. It's real bad. It's from there that, you know, they were able to start planning the Unite the Right rally and move on to Charlottesville. So, you know, these you can't allow these meetings to happen. You have to document who's going. You have to stop them if you can. They plan things. These are bad things. There were real results from allowing the last neo-Nazi American Renaissance Festival to take place. Um, Heather Heyer's dead now in Charlottesville. Charlottesville is still traumatized. They had more than one Tiki torch march. Um, so there's real bad results to letting this shit happen. So Agreed. he's trying to raise awareness and get some ground support or, you know, just local Tennessee help or any help down there because, you know, ultimately it's on Nashville and the state of Tennessee to stop allowing this neo-Nazi festival to be hosted. Years they cancel it, some years they don't. There was a nice three-year gap now, but here they are allowing it again. So, no good. No good. Agreed. Uh, we'll be talking about that a lot more in the episode with Daryl. Um, the whole point is to raise awareness and hopefully get some people there. Yep. Right. And stop it for next year. Be aware that they meet, they meet in the state park, you know, a couple hundred people go, they stay for the weekend. The hotels are booked in Nashville. It's a think tank. I mean, this isn't just some type of bonfire in the woods there i mean they have those types that go but no the vast majority of these people come in suits and high heels and it's hosted like any type of corporate event event it's a think tank wow for hatred yep it turns violent and murderous yep it needs to be stopped i I find it fucking appalling that after what happened in two thousand 2017 that they're even fucking allowing it to happen again like are you fucking serious and the leader you know he tries to say you know it's not this and it's not that and he's not not involved in this but Daryl him incognito in dc for the justice for january 6th rally there were no white supremacist groups that came it was really a small crowd but there that leader was with a he had like a old boomer fishing cap on and sunglasses and he was adorable trying to blend in. But, you know, Daryl knew who he was, walked right up to him, filmed it and said, why are you in D.C.? Why are you recruiting? What are you doing here? Right. You know? So they're still 
active. Very much so. Speaking of, uh, you know, the January 6th crowd, there is some, uh, some influence from the... God damn it, what did Dean call it? Dean had a funny name for it. We, we primarily called it an attempted coup, but Dean had a funny name for it, and I don't remember it. Oh, the gravy seal attack? I mean, it was along those lines, but that's not exactly it. But yes, you're, you're getting it. The, the cosplay? <laughs> We're playing Revolution today. Yeah. We just don't know how. <laughs> Part of the anyway. defense, too, is, oh, we had no plan. I mean, maybe that's what the left should use. We don't have a plan. We we don't know why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's quite ridiculous. But anyway, um, I hope you enjoy this song. And um, I hope to one day finish it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Thank <Same>. you. <laughs> Thank you for joining us tonight. <laughs>